Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Miss Bonnie, and what a great uh, reminder that we have a God who is able to deliver us from the storm, and we also have a God who is with us uh, in the storm, and we trust in Him and not uh, the outcome of those things along the way, and we're uh, grateful for that this morning and that reminder, grateful for a, uh, just a great uh, online audience this morning. I, I was looking as we were uh, just leading up to, uh, to this time and, and saw just a great crowd that's joined us uh, in our online audience, and so we're grateful uh, for your presence as well this morning and thankful for the blessing of those that uh, serve behind the scenes in our AV and our uh, live stream work that allows uh, not only us to worship in-house, but also for that message to go uh, in, a, in a much further dynamic than once was possible. So grateful for that. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're uh, thankful for you being here this morning, and we pray uh, that today will encourage and uh, strengthen us as we walk in the midst of a crazy world. Uh, you know, while we were in Honduras, many of you have heard some of the stories that we have shared about the time that was there. And we had some really incredible opportunities to minister to uh, people that were uh, just in, in uh, extreme poverty and in the midst of such tremendous need and such need for the gospel. And we had a, a, a blessing of one evening. Now, the, the team that we served with uh, was a soccer ministry that had made and built relationships with other ministries there and that opened the door uh, to, uh, to minister in, in just a neat way. And it was incredible how the Lord used a soccer ball to draw such a crowd. And one night, uh, we had finished our work and uh, had, had served in some camps that day and just had a great day. And one of the folks said, hey, I just heard today that Honduras is playing in what, it was my understanding, that was the game before the World Cup. And I, I don't understand all the details about that, and some of that can get lost a little bit in translation, literally, there between uh, the communication with, with translators. But they began to tell us, hey, there's a unique opportunity just not far from us. Honduras is, is playing soccer, and it's a big deal. And we could go and be part of that. And so we kind of asked the folks that were there, do you want to do that or not? And they said, yeah, we, we'd like to see that. We think that would be uh, incredible. Now, it was raining uh, in a way that was just uh, incredible. It was raining cats and dogs, so they say. And so we're uh, going to this game, and there is literally water just standing as we're walking in. You're kind of walking through uh, almost some mud and some things that are there. And, and I want to tell you, it was, it was incredible. Uh, some of you were, were in that uh, moment with us, and, and in those moments, there, there was this, uh, this overwhelming sense of home field advantage. We were walking into the stadium. Now, we stood out just a little bit. It, it, most of the folks had darker skin uh, all around us, and they were playing Canada. It was Honduras versus Canada. And as we're walking in, we're hearing just this excitement in the crowd. And, uh, and, and I wanted to be sure when I was talking to people that they knew I was for Honduras, right? I didn't want to get in any trouble in that mix because those people were serious about their 
sports. Now, I want to show you just a little highlight from the game that we were at. Uh, you'll see. Solano. Chats for Honduras hit by Ariaga, and it goes into the back of the net. Now, with the right amount of volume. A slip, a chance, and it's taken by Honduras. Pretty quiet 2-0 for the whole home side. Control of that. I want you to know in that stadium, the noise of that crowd was almost overwhelming. It was so loud, and it was so strong, and it was so serious. This was a picture that I took uh, from my phone beside us, and this was uh, just to give you kind of a look of the crowd that was around, and when Honduras would do something well, man, that place would come undone. It, would, it was the loudest cheering that maybe I had ever heard in my life at, at a game, and I, I noticed when Canada did something, there was not that response, and, and you could tell that they were not part of the home team. And I got there, and they had kind of warned us, like, don't go off by yourself or you'll die. And so that seemed like a good, um, I, I hear that. And uh, I, I wanted to make sure I listened to what they were saying. And so we all made sure that we were close together and that if we did things, we did those things in a group. And we made sure that we were safe as we could be in those environments. And I was thinking about that day. And people would ask me, there was a a couple of people that looked, and I guess maybe because of, uh, maybe I stood out a little bit from the rest of the crowd, they actually asked, are you here for Canada? And immediately I said, no, 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 amigo, no, no. Honduras, right? And I, and I, and I kind of figured out that when they scored, right, the right thing to do was to be like, yeah. And so, with great passion, we cheered for Honduras, and we were rooting for them, but honestly, if the United States of America had been playing and I was in that environment, I would have probably been tempted to still cheer for Honduras right in that <laughs> moment, right? And so, I've been praying about where we land today, and we've been walking through the Scriptures for a, uh, an entire year, and as we've done that, we've been walking through specific places and Months ago, as I looked at the reading plan and where we were at, my heart stirred to Daniel chapter 3. And I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn there. And I want to, I want to preface this just a little bit by saying that we are living in a time where if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that no longer do we have the home field advantage. No longer is there celebration and cheering in every moment that's there. We uh, are living in a time where following Jesus and standing for the truth of God's Word is not as easy as it once was. The reality is that the crowd can feel intimidating. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life, but I want to remind you that the crowd can feel very intimidating. And the pressure to blend in is greater than it's ever been in my life and maybe in many of our lives. We are no longer living as the majority, as, as a, a group where when someone expresses a biblical worldview that there is 
a reception of that. We are living in a time where living as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ will call for courageous faith. And I believe God is calling us to live in the midst of a culture that doesn't really like what we stand for, a culture where, where conviction and courage is exhibited by Christ's followers out of commitment to Him and commitment to His Word. This Word that we have and that we open today is a gift, and we start uh, in the midst of a series that we'll be going through for a season called Prepare the way. And when we look in our culture, I'm reminded that we need revival. We are in desperate need of revival in our land. Uh, we are in desperate need of a move of God among our churches and among our culture. And I believe today that as we open God's word, that his timing is perfect. And we see that in the scriptures. I believe God uh, is, is working in the midst of a way that is greater than our minds can get around. And we've gotten to this place in the book of Daniel where we followed our reading as the kingdom of Israel divides, as the warning of judgment and captivity comes, as the warnings of all those things, right, because of the disobedience of God's people. And we find ourselves in this passage where those things have happened and where, where there, there have been some of the best, right? King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I like to call him King Nebi because I don't like to say his name all the way out, right? But King Nebi, he has been in a spot where he has besieged Jerusalem and he has taken into exile some of the best of the sons of Israel, some of the royal families and the nobles, and he has taken them from a culture while there were many things about the way that that culture was living in disobedience to the Lord and idolatry and all those things, they had taken them from a culture where they believed in the God of the Bible, where they had believed in the one true God, and they had removed them from that culture and had placed them in Babylon. Now, they were in a culture all of a sudden that was hostile to the God of the Bible. Now, these Hebrew teenagers understand they were removed from their homeland, and the king had a plan, and, and his plan uh, was to take the best, right, the most intelligent, the most handsome, the most, uh, uh, most you know, desired for folks, the best of the best, and to bring them in, and the plan was that they would start them at the University of Babylon, and in that university... They would teach them the ways of Babylon. They would train them and they would engage in that. We see in Daniel chapter 1 that, that they gave them new names, right? In Daniel chapter 1 verse 7, they, they had had these names. And these names in Hebrew, they contained names of the one true God. Every one of them. It's an interesting perspective. And what we see is they bring them in and they begin to change or attempt to change their identity. They change their names to names that contained uh, names of the gods of the Babylonians. Now, the, the scripture says in, in chapter 1 verse 7 that the commander of the official assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. And to Hananiah, Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, 
Abednego. Now, we know about these boys, right? We remember the stories, and every children's book focuses on this story, and it's one of the more common stories uh, of the Scriptures, one of the most powerful stories of the Scripture. And so here they are in this new culture, and they were beginning to be indoctrinated with literature and with language and with the culture of Babylon. And I want to just remind you this morning that in the midst of the culture that we are living in, so many of our young people are experiencing this very same thing. There, there is an attack that is greater than we would understand on uh, our, our children and parents from a young age. We better be teaching our children who they are and whose they are. And, and if we're not, I want you to understand that this culture will do that. There is an agenda that is not hidden in the midst of media and in the midst of education. And there, the institutionalized systems of this culture and the institutionalized colleges and the places that are there are now creeping down further and further. There is an intentional effort to engage with young people and to teach them and to indoctrinate them with the culture of Babylon. And this is the place that we are at. We are in a place where things that this Bible would call sinful are being normalized and things that, that are in that dynamic are being taught to our children. But what we see in this passage is that these four men, they were unique in the way that they lived. They were rooted in the truth of God's Word. And, and in chapter 1, they were told to eat from the king's table. But they uh, were going to honor God and they desired to remain kosher. And they said, you know, we're not going to eat uh, maybe meat sacrificed to idol. But it, but it was the the best of the best, right? They had the opportunity to eat the best of the king's food, right? But they said, listen, we want to take a stand. And in the midst of that, they gave a solution and the, the, they allowed that and the Lord honored that and blessed. Chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in this dream, uh, he uh, sees uh, these, this, this uh, image, right? This, this uh a giant statue. He sees this incredible image and in that Daniel interprets this dream and he gives him some clarity about where Babylon was and what it represented and that the, the gold head represented that but that it would be overtaken. There's all this prophecy that's in that and we're not going to lean in there very much but in chapter 3 the king decides that he is going uh, to erect this image and when he does he uh, he says you know what we're going to make this image of gold and in declaring uh, this image of gold he says that Babylon right in 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 this uh, construction of that says that it'll never fall and in the midst of these moments, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, the scripture says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, so about 90 feet tall, and its width 6 cubits. So it was this narrow, very tall uh, image, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to Ascendable, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, now it lists out all these people, and it wants us to understand that everybody who is important, those that are ruling, those that are important, those that are in charge, the, the people that are uh, very important, that he's got them all there. In verse 3, he repeats this again. 
the satraps, the prefects, the governors. He goes on and he says, listen, and all the rulers were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nation, and every men of every, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the flute, the horn, the lyre, the, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into the midst of a burning and blazing fire. And so there's this dramatic uh, display of the music. There's this dramatic emotional moment that is there. And there's this command that's given to the king that says everyone will bow down. And the reality is that he's saying, listen, you'll bow down or else. The first thing I want you to see today is that courageous faith is countercultural. Courageous faith is countercultural. Look at verse 7. It says, Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. All those that had been taken captive in his conquest, all those from all over, they are bowing down to this command there. Well, the reality is that almost everyone was bowing down in those moments. The second thing I want you to see this morning is that courageous faith does not compromise. Courageous faith is countercultural, but counter courageous faith does not compromise. Now, there were plenty there that were to point out these Hebrew boys that were not bowing down. The scripture says in verse 8 that for this reason at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. And they responded and said to King, to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live Forever, You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, right? all this is repeated so many times for emphasis, he says to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. This is what you've commanded, O king, and there are certain Jews. There are some Jews around, and maybe there was jealousy among the people and among the Chaldeans, among the Babylonians for the elevated places that they had gotten to. And he said, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, have disregarded you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Now, if you haven't noticed... The world is quickly ready to condemn those who will not bow to the pressures of the culture. The world is quick to condemn those who refuse to bow. And here's the response from Nebuchadnezzar, and it's a response that we may see. Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 13, in rage and anger gave orders. Now, this is interesting, right? In, in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these men were brought before the king. Now, this is a serious moment in the lives of these Hebrew children. And the, and the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar's response to their unwillingness to bow to the image that he had set up was rage 
and anger. And this is the culture that we find ourselves in in these moments. If we, as followers of Jesus Christ, do not believe in the way that this culture declares is right, if we have a different position, then the response is anger and rage. Nebuchadnezzar is in these moments and he says, bring them here. Bring them to me. And I can only imagine the conversations among those three Hebrew boys. And I'm also reminded that courage happens best in community, right? That there's these three Hebrew boys, and we learn a lot about their parents from their name. They had been raised to serve the one true God. They had understood the Shema. They had heard that they are to love the Lord their God, right? That there is one God, and they, and they were standing on that truth, and they were standing together. Every time in this passage they are mentioned, they are mentioned together. It's a beautiful thing, but I can only imagine the conversations that they might have had, and I, uh, we're not privileged to know all the details of that, but I imagine there were some scary moments on the way, right? And, and maybe they were asking questions like, you know what, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we're making too big deal of this. Maybe, I mean, we know that image doesn't mean anything. We, we know that is not really important. Maybe we've, maybe we've overreacted to this command. Maybe we've, maybe we're taking this thing a little bit too far. And, and by the way, I mean, what good are we if we're dead? I mean, the king has said that if we disobey, that we're going to be cast into this fiery furnace. And maybe they're talking and they say, you know what? God looks at the heart, right? God is someone he knows what's in our heart and maybe 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 we could just bow down on the on the outside but on the inside right we could we could have a different attitude now on the outside maybe we could bow down to this moment but on the inside we're gonna we're gonna be worshiping Yahweh we're not gonna bow down in on the inside right it's just a statue right maybe they're having conversations like that and then maybe one of them looks and says you know what I mean we looked around the other day and everyone else was doing it all the others that had been taken captive all the other ones that have come in I mean he is the king right and we're to submit to the authority of him and maybe we should do that kind of thing and look he's he's given us this this stature and we've been we've been elevated in all these places and so maybe we should do that let's see how they respond in verse 14 Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them is it true Shadrach Meshach and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up he says here here's, here's here it is guys I mean I appreciate how good you are at all you do and so I'm going to give you another chance and in the pressure even turned up along with the furnace being turned up in a moment he says I'm going to give you another chance and if you're ready at the moment that you hear the sound and he lists these instruments again this music is going to happen he says in the midst of that he says when you hear that the moment to fall down and worship the image that I've made in verse 15 very well he says, that's what you're to do in the midst of this moment. But if you do not, I need you to understand something. He says, if you do not, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? That was a mistake for him to ask that question. Right? What God is there? I think the Lord in heaven is like, I'm, I'm going to show you which God uh, that is, the one true God and then Shadrach Meshach and Abednego reply to the king and this is a dramatic moment right you got another chance boys you're gonna bow down and if not I'm gonna put you in that furnace and they say you know what 
We don't even have to think about what we're going to say right now. And, and we ought to as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. We ought to be so committed to the Word of God and so understanding of the Word of God that when the culture comes and when the pressure comes, that, that we have resolved a long time ago that we're uh, following the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to stand in the midst of whatever moments. He said, we don't need to think about this. We know the Word of God and we're going to stand on the Word of God. We don't have to think. We don't have to do that. And we're going to be courageous and stand. And I want you to understand they had decided this a long time ago. We'll look at some of that next week. But verse 17, I love, love, love this, uh, these next couple of verses. It said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire, furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And what they said is we know he can. That's what they said. They said, we know he can. They have confidence in the power of God. We know he can. And then in verse 18, they say, you know what, though? But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They said, listen, we know he can, but we trust in his plan. They have confidence not only in the power of God, but they have confidence in the plan of God. And their faith in God was not simply in his rescue in this moment. That Their faith in God was not simply in his response in that second. They said, you know what, we're going to stand. And they had what I like to call an even if kind of faith. It's that kind of faith that says, you know what, we know he can and we trust his plan. And in light of that, we will still stand. And even if he does not choose to deliver us from this fiery furnace. We will not bow down to you. Now, the response from Nebuchadnezzar is maybe as expected. In verse 19, the scripture says, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, we know the rest of the story. They are bound and they are thrown into the furnace. And in verse 25, uh, the king sent he says, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And th th there was a fourth man in the midst of the fire. And, and most scholars, and I would agree that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And this reminder that in the midst of the fire that we are not alone. And these three Hebrew boys were loosed in the midst of the fire. And the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was present with them in the fire. And we don't uh, have a promise in the scripture that we will never go through the fire and that we'll never experience the difficulties in the fire that we don't have that promise but we have a promise that in the midst of those things that we can have courage because he is with us and God is glorified in this passage, right? The, these boys at the end are promoted and, and in our, our minds and in our hearts, it ends beautifully. And, we, and there's worship that takes place to Yahweh, the one true God. And it ends beautifully. But I want you to understand something. If they had said, even if he does not, and we were cast into that fiery furnace and they had burned for the glory of God, standing on the truth of what God had called them to do, I want you to know that the story would have still ended beautifully. The story would have still ended with courage and commitment 
commitment to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, and, the, and the story, right, is not over. You know, this morning when I read of, of Bill McGahan's sister passing away, there was, all, there was a, a reality of this sorrow that we have here, but there was also a reality that the joys of heaven are greater than anything we could imagine. And so we grieve and we rejoice in the same moments because when Christians uh, are passed from this life into the next, I want you to understand, eternity is greater than anything we could ever imagine. And God has promised not everything to be perfect in this life, but He has promised that there's a day coming when everything will be perfect and that the momentary afflictions and the difficulties that we go through in this life, that they're not wasted and that they're working a far exceeding weight of glory in the eternal. And so we don't lose heart. The Bible tells us right as we look in to to the New Testament, and can I remind you that God calls His followers to stand while knowing He can, but trusting in His plan. In the New Testament, we are reminded that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that we are not home. This world is not our home. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that in the midst of this world of Babylon that we live in, we live in the midst of a broken world that is broken by sin and that people are hurting all around. And all those things that are there in the midst of this broken world that is ruled by ungodly people, that is ruled by, by, by the systems of this world in a, in a place where Satan roams around longing to devour. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. We have a God who entered into the midst of brokenness and Jesus took on flesh and he lived among us in the midst of a broken world and he lived without sin and he died in our place and our allegiance is not to the things of this world our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ as they uh, as they responded in Acts 5 29 under the pressures of those moments Peter and the apostles said listen we must obey God rather than man And we live in those kind of moments where we're called as followers of Jesus Christ to to be light in the midst of this dark world and to not conform to the pressures of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the Word of God, to live as living sacrifices, people sold out for the glory of God. But here's the problem, and we all know it. The reality is that the pressure to conform is so, so heavy. It's so strong in our culture in these moments, especially when we feel outnumbered. We are very tempted to cheer for the loudest team, the most intimidating voice around us, and we've all faced it. There's different times in my life that this pressure has been so strong, and I look back, and there are moments that I've done well and moments that, in all honesty, I've compromised and caved to the pressures of the loudest voice around. Some of us may be in a work environment where you're a Christian and your boss is not. Some of our young people, maybe they are playing sports and they are placed in a locker room where uh, the the language and the crude talk is all around and there's this temptation to say, you know what, everyone else is doing it and I sure don't want to stand out in this temptation that we might join 
in. There are some that might recognize, hey, you've been invited to the party. You've been invited uh, to this, and, and you know that when you get there, there's going to be sinful things taking place. But if you're going to fit in, then you're going to have to go. There's a temptation that they might face, our young people, to cheat on an exam. There's a temptation that, that, that every person in this room might have to look at things that are inappropriate on the Internet, to allow things in our homes, on our television, uh, that are against the Word of God. There are temptations to allow those kind of things. There are temptations to, uh, to experiment with drugs, to participate in inappropriate jokes, to, uh, to gossip in the form of, well, you sure need to pray for them, and let me tell you all about why, right? We, we have those temptations, and those are so easy uh, to talk about, right? There's temptations to flirt or have inappropriate conversations with, with someone outside of a husband or our wife, right? And there's all this pressure to conform. There's all these things. And believers in this room, we may face all those things. And it's pretty easy to talk about those things. But maybe more applicable in these moments are the moral pressures that are all around us. The pressure to accept a cultural worldview instead of standing on a biblical worldview. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live by this book. And this book is the absolute truth. You live in a culture today that says there is no absolute truth and that you, whatever you believe can be right for you and it can be something different for me. And as long as you don't offend uh, someone else, that, that everything is okay. But the Bible tells us that as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are to stand on the word of God. And if we hold a biblical worldview, our definition of life is in opposition to this culture. You know, there was a monumental day in our nation on Friday when Roe v. Wade was overturned. It was a monumental moment, right? And, and the Bible would teach us, uh, the Bible would say in Jeremiah 1.6 that before I formed you in your mother's womb that I knew you and I appointed you with purpose to be a prophet unto the nations, right? The scripture would say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist would say that we are to stand and be a voice for those that are voiceless, right? We see those kind of things and from the womb to the tomb, life is sacred. Good old James, he would tell us also that in our lives, that pure and undefiled religion is this, to look after the marginalized, to look after widows and orphans in their distress, right? And so we have a love not only for an unborn fetus, but we have a love for that mother. And we have all those things that are in there. And we recognize that from the womb to the tomb, that life is sacred, that, that it is created in the image of God, and that life begins at conception. And if you believe that in the midst of the culture that we live in, you may find yourself in a minority. You may find yourself where there are loud voices that are all around that would declare something different. But I want you to understand something. We cannot compromise to our culture. We must stand on the truth of the Word of God. And we must engage on mission for the glory of God to engage with brokenness, to engage with people that are hurting. Right? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you carry a biblical definition of marriage, right? The Scriptures are very clear, right? God has designed marriage. We read about it 
from the beginning, right, that God designed marriage. And I want you to understand, because God designed it, only God gets to define it. No matter what this world may declare, no matter what things that you might see, and no matter how loud the culture is, only God defines those things. Marriage is created by God for our good and for His glory. And in that relationship, we are able to reflect a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is more at stake than what we could ever imagine. And intimacy is inside, right? God has created and given us the gift of intimacy between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And I need you to hear this morning that anything outside of that context, any, uh, anything outside of that relationship is sin. Heterosexual uh, sexual sin outside of marriage, homosexual sin, pornography and etc. All of those things, anything that's outside of God's design, the scripture is very clear in those places. We have a biblical definition of the realities of male and female, but we live in a time where there is all kinds of gender confusion. There is all kind of brokenness that's all around. We've had a year where transgender athletes have been competing in, in, in the, the opposite sex, where we've had transgender men that have been competing in women's sports. We've been in moments where all of those kind of things are all around us. And I want you to understand why we don't have time. And I'd love to spend a week on every one of these and what it looks like as followers of Jesus Christ to be winsomely loving in the midst of a broken world in regards to all of these. I must tell you this morning that courageous faith is not willing to compromise with the immorality of this culture, right? It, the, the pressure and the desire for acceptance of our culture has silenced and caused many Christians to consider a cultural worldview instead of standing on the truth of God's word. This is the reality that we are in. People are pressured that they might desire to be embraced and accepted by culture than standing on the convictions of the word of God. And here's what I'm so convicted of this morning, that we add to the confusion if we compromise to the culture. We must be a people who will choose Jesus over political correctness, that we will choose Jesus over social acceptance, that we will stand and know that where the scriptures are clear, that we serve a God who is immutable, a God who does not change. We have a God who is, is, is sovereign in all things and is designed and given us these guidelines and these boundaries, these sweet solutions for life. And the scriptures are clear about morality and the scriptures are also clear about our call to love. And I, and I want to encourage you in this as we close, right? We, we must demonstrate courageous faith in our words and our walk. I want to read you an example that I think is fitting in these moments. Uh, this is from June the 6th of this year. Several major league ball players on the Tampa Bay Rays took a bold stance for their faith on June 4th at a home game against the Chicago White Sox. It was pride night at the game and the Rays players were supposed to wear both a rainbow burst logo on their sleeve as well as a special pride cap rather than their standard ball cap. At least five players with the permission of the ball club chose not to wear the pride emblems and a spokesman for the group attributed their actions to their Christian faith. The players, it goes on to say, took their stand with the permission and one, Jason Adam, was designated as the spokesperson for the five. Adam attributed their joint action to faith-based purposes. He said this, so it's a hard decision, Adam said, because ultimately we all said what we want is them to know that they are welcome and loved here. 
But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided that it's just a lifestyle. And that maybe, not that they look down on anybody or think differently, it's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus, who's encouraged us to have a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior, just like Jesus encourages me as a heterosexual male to abstain from sex outside the confines of marriage. It's no different, Adam added. In the face of the increasing wokeness of corporate America, these players took a stand for their faith that could get them in hot water. While raised management's consideration of the five players seems gracious and reasonable, it does only so because of how unreasonable the demands of LGBT politics have gotten today. They allow no room for dissent, but there is no, not virtue in, there is no virtue in not forcing people to follow wokeness and proclaim something they do not believe. It is called freedom of conscience, and it is a fundamental human Right. Adam finished by explaining that the five were not judging anyone but protecting out of their own but protecting their own conscience. It's not judgmental, he told TMZ. It's not looking down. It's just what we believe, the lifestyle he's encouraged us to live for our good, not to withhold something from us. But again, we love these men and women. We care about them and we want them to feel safe and welcome him here. And it goes on and and just says, you know, if we he adds this, he says if uh if the Bible is infallible and that the everlasting life is attainable, yet I bow down to public opinion in the name of tolerance, is that love? I don't think so. I cast no judgment. I cast no condemnation. I only feel called to share my faith, which is the most important thing in my life. I respect everyone's free will to live their lives however they choose and can promise to treat nobody any different based upon their lifestyle. To take a stand for Christ can come with a cost, but as these Tampa Bay players have learned, it is the right thing to do and provides unique opportunity to share the gospel. We applaud their actions. Courageous faith is difficult in the culture that we live in. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, and I want to read this with a reminder of, of this statement that courageous faith includes our words and our walk. Verse 14 of Ephesians 4 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, this is an interesting passage. It says, speaking the truth in love. And the participle in the Greek, it gives us this picture, and it would be better translated as truthing in love. Love And it carries an idea of not only speaking the truth, but doing it. And so we think about how do we live in exile? How do we live in this land that we are in? And here's the reality. We are called to speak the truth, but not only to speak the truth, we are called to do the truth. So we speak and do the truth in love, and we continue to grow in Christ in every part of our lives. Because here's the tendency. And I want you to hear my heart in some of this. There's, there's times that I have seen all truth and no love where God's people have been recklessly harsh and have not extended the grace of God. I remember in a church that I was worshiping in, a situation came up and there was a, a single mother, an unwed lady that had become pregnant. And I remember overhearing a conversation of someone in the church. I remember hearing a little lady that was just a sweet, precious little lady. And she was in charge of throwing baby showers. She was in charge of that moment. And I heard the conversation. I don't, 
think I can throw a shower for her because of what she's done. And as I heard that, I was a very young Christian, and I didn't know much. But I knew that I had experienced the grace of God, undeserving and broken and deserving of condemnation, had committed so many things that, that were deserving of death, right? But God loved me that much, and I asked a simple question. I said, who else is going to throw them a shower and love them like Jesus? Who else is going to do that? And there was a beautiful shower that took place for this young lady, and she was loved by the people of God. And I want you to understand, we don't have to celebrate and condone in order to love people with the gospel. We don't have to live in that. It's not a balance. It is both, and it has to be both. All truth and no love is mean and vicious and not what Jesus has called us to. And it's not the gospel. But I want you to understand something. We can err so far to the other direction that we become all love and no truth. That we can say, you know what? We read things and there's, there's, in our culture, and, and I pray that God would allow people to see my heart, but also that we might not waver on the truth of the word of God. That we might be courageous in the things that we say and the way that we live. Right? We look around in our culture and there are statements that are made all the time. Love is Love. We see those kind of things. And what I need you to hear is the scripture says that God is love. God is love. And we love the truth with everything in us. And we love the people with an equal passion. Because the gospel is willing to engage. The gospel is built around relationships that share not only love but truth. And the truth is that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And following Jesus is not calling us to a life of ease. Fact is, the gospel calls us to die to ourselves and to die to our sin and to live radically surrendered lives to Jesus Christ, trusting that the treasure that we find in him is worth everything. It is a call for us to choose to follow the word of God, even when it's heavy, even when it's in opposition to our culture. And the moments that we are in, they command of us courage and compassion. See, Nebuchadnezzar, he demanded death for those that would not bow to the idols. But Christ came for idolaters. And instead of demanding their death, he died in their place. That is the love of God. And as we come just to a close this morning, I want you to hear, I understand that when we think about these heavy issues that are in our culture, that there's a lot that is connected to them. There are families in this room that are affected by these things. There are, there are people that we dearly love that may be choosing uh, some of the lifestyles that the scripture would, would uh, clearly point against. And we have to learn as followers of Jesus Christ that we might love in a way that would declare the truth of the gospel, that we might engage in my heart. And, and if you are here this morning, maybe you have someone in your family that is dealing with, with same-sex attraction or with identity issues and gender or those kind of things, I want you to understand this is a safe place for them to be. This is a place where I would love to sit down with them and share. And for, for many years, 
I have had the privilege of walking alongside uh, some, some dear people to me that have struggled with same-sex attraction and that have, that have battled some of the things of, of this, uh, this, this culture that we're in. And it is my heart that, that we might continue to engage in a way that would point people to the love of Christ and that would demonstrate the love of Christ. Whatever those things that we come in with, the, the, the reality is that, as the Scripture says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we are in a a Romans 1 culture and if we are in a place where so many things and we're seeing the brokenness of all that, then the most important verse in that chapter is that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. And we are called to go in. Jesus came into the midst of the broken world and he lived a life that we couldn't live and died for the sins that all of us has committed. And we would do well to remember the grace of God that we have experienced and that we would extend that grace to those all around declaring that God is love and that he is a treasure worth forsaking everything to find. I want to pray for us and close. Father, I'm grateful for your word and I thank you for God, the truth that we declare from it. And God, while some of the things that we have engaged in today can be heavy and can be, Lord, uh, uh, something different than our culture welcomes, Lord, I'm reminded of your great love for us, Lord, and that your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would give us courage to stand for truth. God, I pray that you would also, uh, Lord, meet those that are struggling in these areas, Lord, those that are are navigating difficult moments, Lord, and and hard times in their life and families that are there. God, I pray that they could find the love of Christ, Lord, and uh, and and the care of your people, Lord, to be so evident among us. Lord, may we be a people who truth and love, who not only say the truth, Lord, but who do the truth. May our lives not be filled with hypocrisy, Lord, where we are uh, jumping on one thing and then living however we want, God, but our lives would be uh, examples of complete surrender to you. Lord, desire to follow you, Lord, and love for all men. Love so much that we declare the truth of the gospel, Lord, and the hope that can be found only in Christ. Lord, I pray that you give us help in those areas, Lord, and that you comfort those that need comforting, Lord, that you help those that need helping, Lord, and that we might be a place, Lord, that would boldly uh, stand for truth, but God, that would uh, be such an example of love that we would see this world impacted for the glory of your name. Lord, we ask this in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.